Good morning. It is good to be in God's house. It is good to worship the creator of the universe. Um, Just a couple of announcements. Just a reminder that we are starting our uh, Sunday night Bible study tonight at 5 o'clock. We'll be in the Fellowship Hall. Um, And the elders will meet a week from Monday at 5 o'clock, also in the Fellowship Hall. Women's Bible studies on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. Everything seems to happen in the Fellowship Hall. So are there any other announcements? We do have some newly printed directories, so if you did not get one last week, I have there's a couple here and I have some extras as well. Our call to worship today comes from Psalm 4. So as we enter God's presence for worship, let us be reminded of his call. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Be merciful to me and hear my prayer. How long, O man, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and trust in the Lord. Many are asking, who can show us any good? Let the light of your face shine upon us, O Lord. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. I will lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we find safety in you and in you alone. Throughout the book of Proverbs, as we have been studying, we are reminded that those who seek your face, those who fear the Lord and seek wisdom will sleep in peace. And so remind us that you are our God. Remind us that you hold on to us during the dark of the night. Remind us that you hear us when we call. When we cry out to you, you answer in your glory. So Lord, help us to seek you and to seek you alone, to not seek after false gods, but to search for you to search our hearts and be silent before you. Lord, we are here today to worship you. We will worship you in the reading and teaching of Scripture. We will worship you in the singing of songs. And we worship you by praying, also by praying as you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please take Bible songs, the green book there in the pew before you, and turn to Bible song number seven, Faith and Peace. This week, as we sing, as we've done for the last several months, we will sing quietly. And as we sing quietly, let's remember our brothers and sisters around the world who have to sing silently because their lives are in danger for worshiping. So let us stand and sing faith and peace. Bible song number seven.
Please be seated. After Nehemiah finished his building project of rebuilding the walls, the Israelites celebrated for the first time in generations the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And during that feast, they had Ezra and Levites and priests stand before them for several days, for four to six hours a day. They stood and listened to the reading and teaching of the word. And at the end of that time, the nation of Israel gathered for what is called what is described in Nehemiah as a quarter of a day to confess their sins together. I'm not going to ask you to confess for a quarter of a day. I'm going to ask for you to bow your heads and listen as I read our prayer of confession. O Father of Jesus, help us to approach you with deep reverence and joyful faith, not with presumption or servile fear. Give us holy boldness and confidence that you are faithful, covenant-keeping God, and that you cannot abandon or reject us. Forgive us, Lord, for we are not faithful followers of you. We confess that in religious duties, our lips and the feelings of our hearts have not always agreed. We have frequently taken your name carelessly on our tongues and trampled on your kindness with our many sins. We have desired and pursued things that would injure us and have despised some of your chief mercies. We have harbored sinful hopes and fears, and we confess that we are unfit to choose for ourselves and direct our own steps. Like Esau, we are quick to exchange the glorious privileges of our birthright in Christ for the fleeting delights of sinful bodily pleasures. How can we ever thank you for your faithful patience with us, your very unfaithful children? Father, forgive us. Lord Jesus, you have done all things well for us, your beloved brothers and sisters. In you, there was no shadow of turning or faltering as you faithfully walked the path of obedience in our place. Though we are weak and inconsistent, you never change and you never will. You remain the same yesterday, today and forever. And so our weak and faltering faith finds a strong and steady resting place in your perfect strength, goodness and love. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, in unbelief, we would stray far from you, hidden in fear and shame. Thank you for that faith, sometimes great and sometimes very small, which gives us entrance to your presence. Carry on your work regardless of our stubbornness and apathy and strengthen our weak faith until it strides forth in the great power of your name. Your word is full of promises that are flowers of sweetest fragrance when gathered with discernment and faith. May we be made rich in faith, strong in its power, joyful in its sweetness, vigorous in its nourishment, and steady in its source. Lord, increase our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. And hear this word of assurance from Romans chapter 5. Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, 
an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. We have an opportunity to worship God through our tithes and our offerings, whether we place them in the baskets and plates provided here in this building or mail them in. So take a few moments to consider how you may worship God in your tithes and offerings. God, we do give you all glory, all praise, and all honor, and we show our worship to you through the tithes and offerings that we give. May you be glorified by them, may you be lifted up by them, and may they be used to proclaim your gospel, your good news, your message of reconciliation and salvation to the othermost parts of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please take your hymn book. Turn to number 303, Be Thou My Vision. As we walk the paths of this world, that should be our prayer, that God be our vision, the lamp to our feet and the light to our path. So let us remain standing and sing hymn number 303, Be Thou My Vision.
please be seated. In a world that denies truth, we have truth. We have the God who is truth, and he has revealed truth to us. And we profess that truth together. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Do we have any updates, prayer requests today? We have one. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, she's been struggling with that this week. Poor old Wayne had her first day at work and didn't get to go. Uh-huh. <laughs> had to call in sick all week. Oh, goodness. We'll be praying for Emily so, and for the rest of the family. Yeah, Zachary will be taken off for Florida on Friday, so please be praying for safe travels for him. Of course, it depends on Dr. Hamilton on Thursday, but yeah. <laughs> so, Also, uh, Wesley Williamson, if all things go well, um, should be either back in the States or heading back to the States tomorrow. And so he'll spend two weeks in quarantine and then another bit of time in his debriefing, so it'll probably be sometime in October before he makes it back to Greenbrier County, but um, he will soon be on his way home. So we rejoice with the Williamsons and Ratliffs and the Carters. Any other prayer requests? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our God and Father, you are our vision. You are our guide. You are the high King of heaven. You have won the victory for us, victory over sin, victory over death. As, as Paul mentioned, we await anxiously that time when our mortal flesh is replaced with life, that life eternal in your presence. We, we anxiously hope for the glory that we will experience for all of eternity as we live and work and move and have our being fully in your presence, no longer fearful of the things of this earth, no longer fearful of the betrayals of our body, no longer fearful of the betrayals of friends, no longer fearful, period, because we will see all things made new. Paul mentioned in his first letter to the Corinthians that we that, that your son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is the first fruits of resurrection. He is what we hope for. He has the glorified body. 
He is dwelling in your presence as a human being. And that is what we long for. That is what we hope for. That is what is sealed to us by the Holy Spirit, the deposit of the glory that awaits. So, Lord, we are here in your presence today to worship as part of that anxious waiting. We are here today to seek your face as part of that hope that we have. And part of that hope is knowing that you hear and that you answer. And so, Lord, today we lift up our requests before you. We do lift up Emily to you. We ask for relief from the kidney stone. We ask for rest and we ask for uh, her to be able to begin the job that she has so worked so hard for for so long. And we ask that you help her to glorify you both in, in her struggle or suffering and also in her work. Lord, we lift up the Williamsons, the Ratliffs, and the Carters to you today as they are also anxiously awaiting the return of a son, the return of Wesley. And Lord, please give him safe travel back. And please give him grace and strength as he awaits so close and yet so far away once he does return to the States. And please um, continue to strengthen the patience and the waiting of his family here and just help them to um, anxiously anticipate the sweetness of their reunion when he returns. Lord, we lift up Mitchell Sutton, who has just left his family for his military training. We pray that you would sustain him at his basic training, and then when he is um, uh, given his uh, duty at Fort Sill later this year or early next year. We pray for his family. We pray for his wife as she is expecting a child and has to go through the difficulties of that without Mitchell being around. And so we ask that you will continue to lift up old Providence and strengthen them to serve the Sutton family well as they remain in the area and as they remain worshiping while Mitchell is gone. And we pray for Mitchell's ministry in the army. And we ask that you would answer his prayer to be found faithful in his service to you and in his service to his country. And we ask that you would give him grace in the eyes of the soldiers that he serves. Help him to serve them well and help him to minister the sword of the gospel as he seeks to minister to our brothers and sisters in the military. Lord, we lift up all the other people that weigh heavily upon our heart. We do think of our shut-ins. We think of Rosalie and Tommy, of Mike, of Jim, of Mariana. We ask that you Remind them that you are present with them. Lord, as we can only be present with them right now in phone calls and in prayer, we ask that you remind them that we are praying for them, that we are lifting them up, and that you are with them, that you are looking after them. We pray for Mariana's grandson and ask that you would bring him healing, bring wisdom to the doctors as they seek to facilitate that healing. And please continue to look after him. Please be with Roy. Give him relief from his pain. And Lord, be with the doctors as they seek to manage that pain. We pray for Katie and wisdom for her doctors as they seek to manage her treatments for her MS. We ask that you strengthen her family, not only to await Wesley's return, but also as they care for her, as she leans on them for support. 
We thank you that Jonathan is doing better and is here with us today, has been back at work and is seeking to honor and glorify you in his work as he uh, recuperates from his surgery. And we ask that as he waits to see if this surgery was a success, that you knit healing in his back and that you strengthen his back and strengthen him in this recovery. We pray for Cohen, we pray for Don, we pray for Carol and Bob, for Bill, for Letha, for Libby. And we ask that you would meet each of them with the healing, with the strength that they need. Lord, we lift up to you today our government. We are at a point in our his in our in our cycle of government that we are contemplating voting for the next government. So give us wisdom as we contemplate. Help us to honor and glorify you with our vote. As difficult as that may be, give us wisdom so that we may honor and glorify you with our political engagement. And Lord, change the hearts of our government officials, our president, our vice president, change the hearts of our Congress, of our Senate, of our courts, our states and local officials, we ask too that you would draw them to seek your glory. You tell us that you have raised up the government to restrain sin in our world. And so empower them and remind them that they are called to use the sword, to use the power of the law to restrain sin, not to celebrate it. So Lord, help us to pray for our government officials. Help us to lift them up before you. Help us to communicate with them in a way that honors and glorifies you and reminds them of their responsibility before you. Yet, Lord, help us to hold that loosely as well. We were reminded today as we studied Moses in Sunday school that we are strangers and aliens in this world. We are not to abandon this world. We are not to turn our back on it. We are to engage. We are to fill. We are to subdue. Your commands to Adam and Eve are still in effect upon us. Yet we are strangers and aliens here. We are citizens of a better country. And so help us to engage in a way that holds loosely and yet honors and glorifies you. And remind us that regardless of whatever government comes, whatever, regardless of whatever government you raise up, whatever, regardless of whatever government you cause to fall, We are citizens of a heavenly city whose foundations are in God, the city whose return we await so that when it returns in your son, this world will be remade, will be made new, and we will see you face to face. Lord, we love you, and that is only possible because you first loved us. And so remind us of the glories of your gospel. And remind us that it is in Jesus' name that you hear us. And so it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles. Please take your Bibles and join with me in turning to Proverbs chapter 14. We'll read the first 15 verses of Proverbs 14. And I do hope that you have your Bibles. I do hope that you follow along and are able to study and review and learn as I go. And I also hope that you know and read well enough to be able to make sure I'm doing my job properly. So please read with me 
from Proverbs chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect them. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty, but from the strength of an ox comes an abundant harvest. A truthful witness does not deceive, but a false witness pours out lies. The mocker seeks wisdom and finds none, but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Stay away from a foolish man, for you will not find knowledge on his lips. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Fools mock at making amends for sin, but goodwill is found among the upright. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and joy may end in grief. The faithless will be fully repaid for their ways, and the good man rewarded for his. A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Let us pray. Our God and Father, speak to us today through your word. So often we seek to hear you speak and leave our Bibles unopened. But today we have opened our Bibles. Today we have read from our Bibles and we seek to hear you. So Lord, please, by the power of your spirit, open our ears so that we might hear the words, the teaching that you have for us. Open our eyes so that we might see the glories of your gospel as revealed to us in Proverbs 14 verses 1 through 15. And through hearing you and through seeing your gospel, help us to live lives that are holy and acceptable to you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I'm a visual learner. Oftentimes when I want to learn a new skill, I have to see it done by somebody else. I've built a couple pieces of furniture in the house, and typically before I build it, I try to go online and watch a video of somebody else building something similar so that I can see the techniques being done. Studies have been done, and they they see actually three different ways that people learn. There's the visual learner like me. Some people are what they call auditory learners. They can just hear something and learn. They can hear a, a lesson taught, or they can hear somebody talk about a certain skill or a certain practice, and they can learn and internalize that through hearing. Others are what they call kinesthetic learners. They are learners that actually have to have their hands into something before they can figure out how it works and how it does. Uh, um, uh, A lot of young boys are kinesthetic at the beginning because they want to take things apart to see what's going on on the inside. And in reality, each of us have some part of all three, even though we may be, uh, one of them may be stronger in our learning styles. But We have a tendency to apply our learning styles, whether we're visual, whether we're auditory, whether we're kinesthetic, to our interactions with God. For the visual learner, we want to see God do something 
before we're going to believe that he can do something. Seeing is believing, you've heard it said before. For the auditory learners, they may be just sitting there waiting for God to speak to them before they'll believe he is there. Why doesn't God just talk to me to let me know that he is as glorious and as powerful as he says he is? And for the kinesthetic learner, they often seek God through feeling, through an experience of God's power. But we are not called to see God in those ways. We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Now, God has provided for us a record of his mighty acts, both in his world and in his word. We, we are told that we look at the might, the beauty and the glory of creation, and we can see everything we need to know about God and ourselves to know that we are without excuse before him. We have his revelation of his mighty acts, both in the world and in redemption, as we have them written down for us in his word. We have evidence to follow. We are not called to walk on a, on a blind faith. It is a faith built upon evidence, but we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. We read that in Paul's passage. That as we await the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the renewal of all things, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And Solomon points us to that in today's passage. He points us to this call to walk by faith as he reminds us of the principle that you reap what you sow. And then in the second part of the verses that we read today, he does call us to walk by faith. And as we look at these two things, I hope for us to see that since God is eternally faithful to keep his promises, we should pursue wisdom even when the rewards are not apparent. In verses 1 through 7, Solomon reminds us of something he's told us before. He reminds us that you reap what you sow. Our passage opens with a reference to the wise woman. And as our passage opens with a reference to the wise woman who builds her house, we should be taken back to Lady Wisdom from chapter 2, from chapter 7, and chapter 9. And also think forward to Proverbs 31 where we see the wife, the glorious wife, the wise woman. And just as the wise woman does in chapter 31, the wise woman here builds her house or her household. And this is a reference to all aspects of building a house, whether biological, economic, or health-wise, a wise woman does all that she can to build up the people who live within her household. Her ways lead to life and to knowledge. And we see in considering the opposite of the wise woman, the foolish woman, in verse 7, she tears down her own house there in verse 1. And in verse 7, the wise woman will find no knowledge on her lips. It says his lips there, but the reference, the parallelism is there with verse 1. And so we see that the wise woman finds nothing. And we're reminded that when an individual seeks to pursue wisdom or seeks to pursue folly, they do not do so in isolation. Our pursuit of wisdom or folly will have long-term effects on the people around us. I remember when, my, when I found out that, I was, that, I, that Michelle was pregnant with our first son, I remembered thinking as I'm considering all the things of parenthood from 
from cradle to graduation from high school, all the things that I would do as a father, there were those things that I absolutely promised myself I would not say. If you've ever parented anybody, you've done it. But then those things squirt out of your mouth in times of stress. Or it might have been something that you had forgotten about, that your parents said well, that were wise sayings. And then you hear yourself saying them and you're like, oh, wow, I did learn something from my dad. We do not pursue wisdom in isolation. Our pursuit of wisdom affects our parents. Our pursuit of wisdom affects our children. Our pursuit of wisdom affects our friends, our co-workers, our fellow church members. Our pursuit of folly affects all those people as well. We do not live in isolation. And Solomon reminds us here of that fact. And it also affects the reaping what we sow. Now, how does Solomon reference reaping what we sow in this particular, in these seven verses? Well, it comes there in chapter four in a very literal picture of an agricultural life. He says, where there are no oxen, the manger is empty or clean. During this time, if you wanted to plant a field, if you wanted to plow a field, you couldn't just call the neighbor to bring his tractor over to plow a few rows for you. You had to have a beast of burden. You had to have an oxen. And that oxen, you would hook the plow to it, and he would pull the plow, and he would cut the rows for the farm. He would cut the rows for the garden. And then at night, you would put that oxen in a stable stall to keep him inside out of the weather, weather to keep him protected. Well, did, did you know that oxen, which are just old big cows, did you know they're messy? Did you know they leave behind evidence that you have them? And what Solomon is saying here is if you go to a farmer's house and their ox pen is clean, well, their manger is going to be empty. The manger has a, a dual meaning there. It's the the place where the oxen finds food, but a manger could also be used to store food that the farmer harvests during harvest time. So if you show up at the beginning of farming season and the farmer's ox pen is squeaky clean, you know that at harvest time, they're going to have an empty storehouse. In this case, you don't reap what you don't sow. You don't harvest at the end of the farming season what you don't plant at the beginning of the farming season. And Solomon is reminding us here that whether it's wisdom or folly, if you reap, you will sow. If you don't reap, you won't sow. The work of pursuing wisdom is not easy. And sometimes it's messy. Sometimes in pursuing wisdom, we make mistakes. Sometimes God chooses to teach us wisdom through the mistakes that we make. Because we learn not to do that. Hopefully we learn not to do that again. Many of us don't. We have to make the same mistake multiple times before we figure it out. But the work of pursuing wisdom is difficult and is messy. And the habits of wisdom that we pursue show themselves to the people around us through sometimes the mess that we make as we learn. But what we reap, we talk about in verses 3 and 5, which is protection from false witnesses, protection from falsehood from our own lips. Oftentimes, the wise will take persecution 
in being accused of false things? Have you ever been falsely accused of something? How did your friends react to that? As we walk longer in integrity, it will be harder for the people who hear the false accusations against us to believe them. No, no, I can't believe that about them. I, I, I know them too well. I've seen the, the wisdom, the integrity in their life too much. But for the foolish, for those who pursue folly, for those who sow deceit, that deceit will boomerang back on them. And it will bring them destruction. It will bring them the damage that they hoped to bring upon those who are false, those who are foolish. And Solomon reminds us as well in verse 2 that there is a greater seed that we must sow. And because of that greater seed that we sow, there is a greater harvest or lack of harvest that we can expect. He says, those He whose walk is upright fears the Lord, but he whose ways are devious despises him. We either sow the fear of the Lord or we sow the hatred of the Lord. The word translated there, despise, doesn't just mean they kind of really, you know, I really just don't like God. I've got nothing against him. I'm just not sure I like him. It's not what it means. It's the same word that's translated in chapter 12, verse 2, that the Lord In in the King James, it says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. You either fear the Lord or he's an abomination to you. It's hard for us to understand. We we have allowed the idea to seep into the church from our culture that all humans are, you know what, they're basically good with with a few with a handful of exceptions, a few minor exceptions. All humanity is good. Scripture describes us as either fearing God or hating Him. Whenever we love the things of the world, we hate God. Whenever we pursue our own glory, we show that we despise the Lord. And that is our natural bent. That is our natural inclination is to see God as an abomination. That's why God has to work so powerfully in our lives. To take the heart of stone that Ezekiel describes, to cut it out and replace it with a heart of flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the work of the cross. Because we need a heart change from seeing God as an abomination to seeing God as somebody who should be loved and reverenced and obeyed. To pursue true wisdom, to pursue the wisdom that is rooted in the fear of God. Our hearts must be changed by the power of God. We must be enlivened by the work of the Holy Spirit to see God as someone who is to be reverenced, to be loved, and to be obeyed. We reap what we sow. We are also called in verses 8 through 15 to walk by faith. Now in verses 8 through 15, Solomon references several times the reaping and the sowing principle. He talks about the mockers, um, the, excuse me, where did I go? Yeah. The foolish mock the idea of salvation we see here in verse 9. Fools mock at making amends for sin. The, the word making amends for sin there is the guilt offering talked about in Leviticus. Fools hate the idea of a sacrifice of atonement having to be made for sin. 
but knowledge comes easily to the discerning. Why is that? It's because, man, I am just totally all mixed up here. I have lost myself. So the foolish mock the idea of salvation and atonement, but they will be fully repaid for their ways. That idea of sin being paid for will be paid for by them. Goodwill, he talks about, and reward will follow the man who walks in integrity, who seeks to be good. Those that pursue their own right way will find destruction, a destruction that leads to death. And the wise, prudent person finds their ways and paths guided while the fools are deceived, though believing almost anything. But Solomon has two verses, two sayings in verses 8 through 15 that just kind of stick out. They don't necessarily fit what we see about reaping what we sow. And it's verse 10 and verse 13. It says, each heart knows its own bitterness. No one else can share its joy. Even in laughter, the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. Paul touched on this in the passage we read from 2 Corinthians 5. Asaph in Psalm 73 touches on these things. And the psalmist of Psalm 88 looks at this as well. Each of us carries a bitterness. Each of us carries a grief. Each of us carries a a heartache that we try to cover with joy and laughter. And a lot of that bitterness, a lot of that grief, a lot of that heartache comes from the fact that we look at this and God says that you will reap what you sow. And God, I have worked so long to reap wisdom and all I have, I have worked so long to sow wisdom and all I have reaped is the death that you promised to the fool. All I have reaped is the heartache and the punishment and the despair that you promise to the fool. And we mask that with joy. We mask that with laughter. And Solomon calls us in the midst of that to walk by faith, not by sight. Faith in what? Faith in God's promises. God promises that he will punish the foolish, that he will punish the wicked and that he will raise up and glorify the righteous. God promises that when you pursue wisdom, that you when you pursue him, you will find him meeting you with life, with grace, with peace and with strength. And brothers and sisters, sometimes that's so hard to see, isn't it? We act like Asaph. Asaph was not wrong to say what he said because he said it to God. He took it to God, but he said, God, I've got your teaching. I've got your word. I've got your law. And it promises life for those who follow you. And I look out upon your people and I see your people who follow you starving. I see the people who follow you oppressed by wicked people. I see the people who follow you abused by those who hate you, who despise you, who turn their back on you. What's going on? And brothers and sisters, it's so easy to look out across our culture today and see the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer and say, God, what's going on? But we are called to walk by faith. Not by sight. We're called not to be like the teacher in Ecclesiastes who looks upon the world outside of God. 
He looks upon a world that in his own mind until the very end, he is looking at the world through carnal eyes. And he says, what does it matter? Even at one point, he talks about pursuing wisdom. This is likely Solomon. Talks about pursuing wisdom and going, what does it matter? We all die anyway. It's easy to walk through this world feeling the anguish of Asaph, feeling the anguish of the psalmist in Psalm 88 who has cried out to God repeatedly over a lifetime of chronic illness and is still left in a place where all he can see is loneliness and darkness as his only friends. And when we carry this weightiness around, we try to put on a happy face. We try to laugh. We try to live as though the anguish isn't there, but it's there. But both Solomon and Paul in our scripture reading from earlier today remind us that we should have faith in God and in his promises. And we should walk in the faith of those promises rather than according to what we see. See, in Romans, Paul tells us that God tarries in this world. And he tells us that that is both a grace and a judgment. It is a grace because the longer God tarries in his return, the longer God waits to set things right according to his perfect timing and his perfect glory, the more people who will accept his gospel and will spend eternity with him. But it's also a judgment because the longer he tarries, the longer people reject his gospel, the more judgment is brought in. And we must be sure that God's promises will come to pass. We have an entire book of God keeping his promises. The first promise he makes to Adam and Eve. I will provide a seed of the woman who will crush the opposition. He will be wounded in the process, but he will crush the opposition. He will crush Satan. He will crush death. He will crush wickedness. He will crush oppression. He will crush all things. And we have the rest of the scripture that shows him keeping that promise in the cross. And we need to be careful, brothers and sisters, because instead of being like the author of Lamentations, who right in the middle of the book says, even though life is difficult, even though life is hard, Even though I mourn, my joy is renewed because God's mercies are new every morning. We need to walk in that faith and be careful of making our mourning new every morning and forgetting God's mercies. We are called to walk through this world by faith and not by sight, knowing that God will keep his promises and that we will be vindicated. Because God is eternally faithful to keep his promises, we should pursue wisdom even when the rewards are not apparent. So how do we do this? How do we walk by faith and not by sight? God doesn't just give us a command and say, go be well and be warm and well fed. He gives us means of grace, which we should use to help us walk by faith and not by sight. And he gives us three means of grace. The first is the ministry of the word. Now, this isn't merely me reading your Bible by yourself in your quiet time, which as I've been reading is really kind of a Western invention. 
A lot of other cultures do their daily devotions in groups. found that kind of interesting as I was studying that. Daily Bible reading is important, but the ministry of the Word is mainly the public reading and teaching of the Word as people are gathered together on the Lord's Day to worship. The public reading of the Word is beneficial to God's people to grow in their faith and promises. How many of you struggle to read the last book of the Bible? You know what John says in there twice? Actually, you know what God says through John twice in the book of Revelation? Once at the beginning, once at the end. Blessed are those who read this. And when he said, blessed are those who read this, he was talking about the churches that received this letter from John, this 22 chapter letter. We have a tendency to only think the first three chapters are a blessing to read. The rest of it are difficult. But the entirety of the book was to be a blessing as the minister stood in the church and said, hey, I've got a letter from John. I want to read you. The public reading of God's word should be a blessing. It should be Lift up those who hear it. But God also blesses through those who listen to the teaching of God's words. We mentioned Ezra earlier in our service in context of Nehemiah. After Ezra took the first group of exiles back and they rebuilt the temple, he was commissioned by the king, the king who was oppressing the Israelites. He was commissioned by that king to go back and teach the people of Israel the law of God so that they could know how to walk in wisdom. We learn to walk by faith by sitting under the ministry of the word. The second way, the second means of grace is public and private prayer. When the people of God gather together and pray together, there is power. There is an unstoppable power because God works through prayer. Whether it's the prayer of invocation that invites us into the presence of God and invites God to to meet us here, to, to be to take our worship and to be glorified by it, there is power in that as God's people pray together in that. If it's the prayer of confession, reminds us that we are to live lives of repentance. God meets His people in that prayer with power to offer forgiveness, to offer restoration, to offer reconciliation. The pastoral prayer, God listens to the prayers of His people and answers the prayers of his people. God teaches us to walk by faith in our prayer. We see him answer prayer and we also learn to lean and to trust upon him. And the third means that he gives to us is the participation in the sacraments. What do we say twice as we partake of the Lord's Supper? Do this in remembrance of me. What do we remember? We remember that God has kept his promise to us to save us, to redeem us, to give atonement for sin. We remember the promises that await us, the promise of restoration, the promise of the time when we will sit at the table with him and partake with him in the new heavens and the new earth. And in baptism, we were reminded that we are sealed to God, that we are set apart by God, that we are marked by God to be his people. And that the promises of salvation are sealed to us or are promised to be sealed to us at the moment in which we profess faith. Asaph despaired of the victory of the wicked. 
until he says, And then I entered the house of the Lord. Do you despair of God's promises in this world? It's easy to do. But when we enter the public worship of God, he builds us up so that we might walk by faith and not by sight. We have had a crisis of faith in our country over the last six months. Among the people of God, there's been a crisis of faith as our way of life has been shaken. I think I know why. According to Barna Research, 48% of regular church attenders, I'm not talking Christmas and Easter only, I'm talking people who profess to go to church two to three times a month. 48% of those people have not listened to a church service since church has closed in March. Is there really any wonder why there's a crisis of faith among the church in America today? We do not take the worship of God seriously. You know, even if even if pastors like me didn't record and put sermons online, there were thousands of good biblical options out there. Why do we have a crisis of faith? Because we don't worship. We don't take it seriously. God uses public worship to build faith in us. Are we heeding that call? Let's pray. Our God and Father above, forgive us. Forgive us for taking this flippantly. Forgive us for not cherishing opportunities to worship, not just because we have the freedom to do so here in America, but because this is an opportunity for us to enter your presence and to be reminded of the glorious promises that you have for us. To be reminded that this is practice for the day when we worship you face to face, no longer with any fear of death, no longer with any fear of persecution, no longer with any fear of anything, but we worship you perfectly. Forgive us because we have taken this for granted. I have taken this for granted. Restore us to a right attitude in worship. Restore us to a right attitude of reverence and fear before you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn today comes from the hymn book. Hymn number five. O God, Thou art my Lord and King. I don't think I need to add anything else to that. He is our Lord. He is our King. Let us stand and sing hymn number five.
Take this blessing, take this promise upon you to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. And as John said, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.